Let's turn to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. Now, when we began this study last time, we were dealing with what appeared to be a, uh, a very superficial response to the Lord who has called his people to repent of their sins. And if anything, if anything, it, it's, it's what you don't do when you're calling out to the Lord in repentance, which is presupposing or, or pres being presumptuous about God. Thinking, you know, well, things will be okay. Uh, you know, we've done all of these bad things, so well, we're going to just kind of turn around and we'll just follow the Lord again. The only problem with that kind of attitude is that the Lord knows our heart. Always knows our hearts. When we come to him, he knows how we come. So the best way to come to the Lord is sincerely and honestly and openly. Much like that man that Jesus spoke of when he made this great comparison and contrast between a tax collector and a Pharisee on the steps of the temple. And while the Pharisee was boasting of how blessed he was from God, the tax collector was on his face, beating his chest, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That was the question that the Lord asked those who were listening. Which one of those men went home justified? But the one who came to the Lord with a right heart. So in verse 4, where we're going to start reading tonight, God asks Israel, the question, O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? But then he also asks Judah, O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? Remember, Ephraim is, is just another name for the northern kingdom of Israel. It was the largest tribe in the northern kingdom of the ten kingdoms that were, or the ten tribes that were north uh, in the northern kingdom. And then, of course, Judah and Benjamin were the two tribes in the southern kingdom. Yet, we're going to see how influential the northern kingdom was to bringing Judah down to the point where God has to deal with them as well. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness. <clears throat> now, as a whole, all of Israel at this point is being admonished by God. For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew it goeth away. Therefore have I hewed them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. For I desired mercy, and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. 
In our last study, we revealed that true nature and character of the heart of the people of Israel after the Lord had called them to repent rather than do that, rather than truly repent of their sins. They would eventually reject that call from God. And even though they would, be, uh, they would respond with, a, with that shallow and su uh, superficial repentance that I mentioned to you already, it only revealed that their love for God was not only temporal, temporary, but it was lukewarm. They were indifferent, and it was fleeting. Their love for God was fleeting. It came and went. Is that how our love is for God? That it comes and goes at a whim? They could be described as being on the same page, as it were, with the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Because if you turn to Revelation chapter 3, uh, you realize that, the, that Jesus is actually calling out to seven churches in Asia, in Asia Minor. And the last church that he deals with rather correlates, if you will, to the church of the end times. For we see in verse 14, it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. Notice, neither cold nor hot. I would, that were, uh, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He's not talking to people out in the world. He's talking to the church. He's talking to those who they think they have everything that they need. Maybe it's because they were told, listen, you, you, you deserve whatever you want to get. Go out and get it. You can have whatever you want to have. Go out and take it. Name it. Claim it. Is that what some people are doing today? I would say they are. But God says, I know thy works. See, it comes back to knowing the heart of people. God knows it. You're neither cold nor hot. And so the Lord describes their love for him as being, and getting back to Israel and Judah, he's describing their love for him as being like the morning dew that is fleeting and temporary. Dew comes in the morning, and everybody, if you get up early enough and you go out, you know, you, you see the, you know, the, the cool wetness of the ground, that the dew has, has come. But then, before you know it, it dissipates, it's gone. It's short-lived, it's momentary, and it's passing. 
So their love for him was, was also indifferent. And what does it mean to be indifferent? And just, just to be clear, here's the, def the, the definition of indifferent, of being indifferent. To be indifferent, first of all, means to have no particular interest or sympathy. No particular interest or sympathy. To be unconcerned. To be apathetic toward or about something. To lack interest, to lack care and enthusiasm. A second definition for, to be, uh, for being indifferent is neither, being neither good nor bad, but just mo uh, mediocre. I would hope that none of us as believers in Jesus Christ want to live a mediocre life. Because if this was the picture that the Lord was painting of them as he was evaluating their love for him, you, you can believe it broke his heart. You can believe that it cut him to the core, that their attitude was such. And as you've noticed, his admonition was both for Israel and for Judah. So now all of the children of Israel were beginning to be indifferent toward the Lord. So he asks the question to both of them. What shall I do unto thee? What shall I do? Their devotion to the Lord was nothing more than an, an early morning mist that evaporates and dissipates with the rising of the sun. There was no true depth to their commitment, no true loyalty or faithfulness to their, to their one true God. Now we know why. If you've been with us from the beginning of our study of the book of Hosea, we know that the northern kingdom of Israel went north to do one thing, to worship other gods. They became idol worshipers. There was not one good king in the northern kingdom because they usurped the authority that God had given for Israel to have a king. The king was to be in the line of David. Not one king in the northern kingdom was of the line of David. They said, we're going to do this ourselves. We're going to make our own religion. Is man trying to do that today? Oh, my goodness. Man's been doing that from the very beginning. Even after the garden, man began to develop their own religions. Let me remind you of a place called Shinar and a tower that was built called Babel. And from then on, man has just decided he's not going to do what God says. We're, we're going we're to make it ourselves. We'll do it our way. And again, that, that just shows the rebelliousness of man, the very heart of man that fell in sin because of Adam. And we'll bring up Adam in just a moment as well. So when dedication to the Lord was professed by them, as we saw in verses 1 through 3, when dedication to the Lord was professed by them, it proved to be false, with nothing more than empty words. How apt is the description given by both Peter and Jude of the false teachers of their day? 
Now we're dealing with New Testament time. Now we're dealing with New Testament words. New Testament exhortations. New Testament admonishments. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ is coming again. This was the gospel that was being preached by the apostles. <clears throat> and yet, excuse me, and yet Peter, in 2 Peter 2 verse 1, he said, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false prophets among you. who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. Privily, under the radar, not wanting to be seen. Just kind of bring it in, quietly, into the church. There, there are those who do it outward, too. I, I understand that on Sunday there was a couple of people passing out flyers out in, out in the parking lot this, this weekend, you know, flyers, because we're... Because we're uh, we're false teachers here, you know, because they wouldn't come in to confront me, but which, which I wish they had, but they didn't, you know, because they've got their own little ideas of how things are supposed to be. So, uh, but that happens, you know, we know it's going to happen. The fact of the matter is, are we teaching you the Word of God? Are we teaching you the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation? Are we doing what we believe God has called us to do? Are we agonizing over it every day? Because we don't want to be wrong with the Lord. We don't want to be wrong. Others have their ideas. You know, they're there on a Sunday morning. I thought, you know, that you worship the Lord. You should be worshiping the Lord, not going out and, and, and trying to steal sheep. It's weird, isn't it? But it happens. False teachers. We got a hold of one of those things that we were looking at. Aside from the fact, you know, I've been, I've been an English teacher, so I, I, I was correcting, you know, I do corrections, you know, like you know, grammar corrections. Other than that, there was also a lot of, you know, biblical and uh, you know, doctrinal corrections that needed to be done. But, you know, it just, it was just like, wow, here we go again. You know, it's always happening. The enemy's throwing all of those things at us, but you know what? We stand. We stand on the Word of God. We stand on Christ. We stand on the cross. We stand on the blood of Christ. So, he says there are false teachers also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. You jump down to verse 10. It says, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. So there are motives, you see, for them to do what they do because they are stealthy <laughs> uh, that they might walk after the lust of their flesh and despise government, which means despise leadership of any kind. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Some people need to pay attention to that. But these as natural brute beasts, verse 12, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery. See, this kind of links us back to Hosea. That was the problem in Israel. That was the problem in, in, uh, in Israel and Judah. 
The adultery was spiritual adultery mostly, but it, it brought them into adultery of, of the physical kind. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. Verse 17, and notice these are wells without water. Just like they're clouds without water, just like they have a morning mist that comes and it goes. Wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. And there's a tremendous comparison that you can make with the writing of Peter, 2 Peter, and Jude, the one little chapter book right before the book of Revelation. Uh, they, they pretty much actually compared notes, as it were. Or at least through the power of the Holy Spirit, they compared notes because they were very close and saying very similar things. But Jude in Jude 1 verse 4 says, For there are certain men crept in unawares. He's talking about the church. People creeping in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. <coughs> Excuse me. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God, turning the undeserved favor of our God into lasciviousness. Now that's a fancy word that means offensive and overt sexual desire. It's a sexual sin. Overt and offensive sexual desire, lasciviousness. So they turn the grace of our God into that and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by, deny, it, it is by doing what they're doing that they deny the Lord Jesus Christ. You jump down to verses 12 and 13. These are spots in your feasts of charity, in your love feasts, as they called them, when the people gathered together and worshiped the Lord and, and took communion together and broke bread together and all. These are spots in your feasts of charity when, the, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water. Notice how Peter and Jude both use that phrase. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, Trees whose fruit withers, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, or foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now every night, if we have very little cloud cover, you can go out every night in, in, in each season, and stars will be in the same place all the time. That's something God did. But there are stars out there from time to time that seem to do their own thing and whew, there's a shooting star here and a wandering star there. And Jude said, these are those who aren't set in God. They're not set in the word of God. And they are reserved for the blackness of darkness forever. What happens to a falling star? You see it, and then it's gone. Dark, out, burns out. There are a lot of people doing that in the name of some religion, and even some in the name of Christ. The apostles have dealt with those as well. Getting back to Hosea, despite Israel's and Judah's indifference, the Lord still loved his people. So that's the one thing about the Lord. 
that people should learn a lesson from. That, he's, that he continues to love his people. So, so much so that he, he sent his holy prophets. He sent his prophets to proclaim his holy word to them. That's why the prophets went to them. Now, now let me just kind of interject here very quickly. You know that uh, uh, in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, in the Hall of Faith, you know, Paul deals with this issue of, of all of these, these heroes of the faith. And, but at the very end, he talks about the prophets. Some of them, you know, they, they saw it in two. So, you know, I mean, they, they went out and they killed a lot of the prophets that were bringing them the word of God. But in verses 5 and 6 of our text here in Hosea 6, it says, Therefore have I hewed them by the prophets. That's an interesting thing. When you hew something... You're applying some type of, of chopping or cutting. I have hewed them by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth. And thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. At first glance, you might think, you know, if that's loving his people, I'd hate to see what he'd do if he hated them, right? Because that's what I told you. He loved his people enough to send them the prophets. Yet what does he say? What does Hosea say? He's quoting the Lord. He says, I have hewed them. I have slain them. So what he's describing is severe discipline for those who have rejected God and disobeyed God and rebelled against God. For the Lord to say, I have hewed them by the prophets, I have slayed them by the words of my mouth, this is not describing just a spanking. I mean, these were extreme measures. J. Vernon McGee described this, this passage as, as, as God saying this, I skinned them alive by the prophets. That's a pretty good description. I skinned them alive by the prophets. In other words, the prophets were telling it like it is. The prophets were telling it like it is. But the people hadn't listened to the prophets and in effect, did not listen to the word of God. The prophet Amos also referred to the extreme nature of the prophet's ministry. Turn to Amos chapter 4, if you will. And notice here what the Lord says through this prophet to the children of Israel. And I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. Now, this is not describing a very good dentist. All right? This is not about having clean teeth. I went to the dentist last week. I had a good checkup. Praise the Lord, you know. But she didn't say, hey, I've given you cleanness of teeth. No. Uh, what this is saying is, 
I've given you cleanness of teeth. Your teeth, are, your teeth aren't touching anything, anything good, any, anything to eat, and you know, no, nothing's getting to them. Notice the next phrase, and want of bread in all your places. In other words, you're not getting any food. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. He brought them into a famine situation that they would cry out to God. If they had cried out to God, if they had just said, Lord God, have mercy on us. Lord, we turn to you. Provide us with, with food. We're, we're dying. What would, have, what would the Lord have done? Time and time again, we see it in the scriptures. He would have given them bread. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Verse 7, and also I have withholden the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. When there should have been rain, there wasn't any rain. And I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. And one piece was rained upon and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. There's the second time he says that. Verse 9. I have smitten you with blasting and mildew. When your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased, the palmer worm devoured them. In other words, he brought plagues and critters upon their plantings and vineyards and gardens. And the palmer worm, it says, devoured them. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. You remember all of the plagues that God sent into Egypt? He says, I've sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your, your young men have I slain with a sword and have taken away your horses. And I have made the stink of your camps to come up unto your, unto your nostrils, unto your own nostrils, he said. That would be the stink of death as well as the stink of stink, stinky stuff. And yet, you have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I've overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. God sent his prophets. They didn't listen. God sent a judgment. They didn't listen. God sent a plague. They didn't listen. They didn't heed. And they didn't respond. As for the words of God's mouth slaying them, it would be good to refer to Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the book of Hebrews. For consider the power of the word of God when it has to go forth in times of judgment. Look at Isaiah 4, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 11, verse 4. It says, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, 
and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Uh, this is referring to that which comes forth out of the mouth of God. Well, what comes out of the mouth of God more than the word of God? The breath of God, the word of God. It is what he's saying to us. It is what he's saying to his people. With the word of God, he blesses. With the word of God, he curses. Is God just? Yes. God is just. The blessings will go to the right people. The curses will go to the right people. You ever have one of those big events where you have to send out a whole bunch of invitations to people and somewhere down the line you know one thing's going to happen. You're going to forget somebody. And somebody's not going to get their invitation. They're going to be upset at you. You didn't invite me, you know, to your son's wedding. You didn't invite me to this. You didn't invite me. It always happens. You go, oh, I'm, you know what? I, I had your name down. I, uh, all of a sudden, you know, it's, the nose starts to grow. Y'all know what I'm, what I'm talking about, right? Okay. <laughs> you make mistakes, right? We make, but God doesn't make mistakes. He blesses those that he's going to bless, and he curses those that he has, to, he has to curse. God is just. He's a just God. Jeremiah 23, verse 29 says, Is not my word like as a fire? In fact, even in the book of Hebrews, by the way, it tells us our God is a consuming fire. But here it says, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? That is the word of God. That is the power of God's word. And it's not all condemnation, and it's not all judgment, and it's not all... But a lot of it is. We have to be honest about that. But this is where fear of the Lord comes in. Because when you read the Psalms and you read the Proverbs and you read those great passages of Scripture that talk about the fear of the Lord, to describe it, in Proverbs, Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. How we can also understand the things of God and the movements of God in the ways of God and the Word of God. Fire can be good, right? It's not always a bad thing. God's word can go like a fire. It, it, it could ignite us. It could ignite our hearts to do things for the, for the Lord. At the same time, fire can also destroy. There's a time where we're going to stand before God and all of the things in our life that didn't mean, matter much to eternity, it'll be burned up. The wood, hay, and the stubble, it describes it in 1 first, in first Corinthians. Wood, hay, and stubble. Just, you know, that stuff burns up. It's not going to matter. Why? Because you're going to have gold, silver, and precious jewels that make it through the fire. 
But fire will also be part of judgment for the wicked. That's wisdom, that's understanding. The Word of God is like a hammer. Every time we become hard, I need the hammer of God's Word to break me. But see, when, when the hammer of God breaks a person, it turns us into dust. And then comes the water of the Word of God. The water of the Word of God makes us the powdery clay into something that God can form and fashion once we let Him. And we know one thing, God is going to form us and fashion us in His way. That's the way we need to be. And many times He has to break us. The work of the potter. That's why God says, I'm the potter, you're the clay. I'll break you from time to time, but that's because I love you. And when I take you and, and form you and shape you again, I'm going to make you what I want you to be, a beautiful vessel. You see, when we try to make ourselves, we're not so beautiful. We think we are. We look in the mirror, we say, Man, that's, mm-hmm, but we're not. We become detestable because self gets in the way. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank God that his sword is two-edged. Because if it was only one edge, it will cut us and it wouldn't put us back together. The idea of a two-edged sword is that it has one property of cutting us to reveal our sin. And the other part of the, of, of, of the two-edged sword is like the scalpel of a surgeon who cuts out what needs to be cut out and he heals us. That's the two-edged sword of God. Takes us, removes whatever needs to be removed, and he heals us. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there it is again. He's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. We can't fool God. We might be able to fool each other, but we can't fool him. So why even try? Oh, and by the way, let's not forget the piece of the soldier's armor in Ephesians 6, verse 17. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. The purpose and function of God's holy word by the love of Messiah cuts and convicts the hearts of his people. It is to warn the people of coming judgment for it will be as a flash of lightning that will actually strike the wicked. And it is to stress the Lord's desire for his people not to be superficial in their worship and in their service to him, but rather to be merciful and to truly know the Lord God personal, personally. That's what God wants. He wants us to know him personally. 
He wants us to have a personal relationship with God, with himself. He wants us to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not to worship him from afar. To know that when we are here worshiping him and praising him and thanking him for all the things that he's done, it is because he's right with us. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always. I'll be here even to the end of the world. When all of this is gone, I'll still be with you. That's a great promise, isn't it? You think he can keep it? I think so. I, I don't think so. I know so. Because God's faithful. <clears throat> God's faithful. We might not be. Peter even tells Timothy that. Even when we are faithless, God is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He is a faithful God. So, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a lesson, by the way. There was a lesson that Jesus taught the Pharisees uh, when tax collectors and low-life sinners sat down with Jesus and his disciples. The, the Pharisees were always worried about these low-lifes that were with Jesus. So why does Jesus spend time with these unclean people? Why? why what's, he, what's he doing with them? And then he comes out and he says all this stuff, you know, about heaven and the kingdom of God and blah, blah, blah. So they're always after, they're always after Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 9, let's turn there because you need to see this. Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. It says, and it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. In other words, they sat down for a meal. Behold, many publicans, those are tax collectors, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now that's, that's, that's just Jesus doing what he always did. He told people, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And we'll eat some food along the way. So they come and they sit down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they, are, but they that are sick. In other words, the sick need the physician, not the ones that are whole. So now think about this for a minute. The Pharisees at that moment, they thought, Well, we must be the whole. We, we must be the ones that are healthy and wealthy and wise. Right? But Jesus tells them this. Look at what he says. But go ye and learn what this, that meaneth. In other words, learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Do you know what Jesus just did? He quoted from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, telling the Pharisees, you go learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's telling them, Go learn the word that you say you know and realize you have no mercy. You sacrifice every day. 
you do it in front of people so everybody thinks you're really great and holy. But you have no mercy for these who have come. These are more whole than you are. Isn't it great the way Jesus turns things upside down and around and out and in and through and over and under and around? You know, I mean, that's what Jesus did to the very idea that people got it together when they've got nothing together. And while there are a number of texts that are linked to this principle, Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 captures the spirit of the Lord's desire from the prophet's perspective. Turn to Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord? Which means, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? What should I bring before the Lord? Shall I come before him with bird offerings and with calves of a year old? Will, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Here's the answer. He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? That's what you bring to do justly, to do that which is right and righteous and just and true, to love mercy. In the Hebrew, the words are, for love is ahava. For mercy, it is chesed. So both have to do with loving, well, chesed has to do with loving kindness, which is mercy. So to love mercy is ahava chesed. It is to, to love loving kindness, to love loving others with the mercy that God has given us and the mercy that God has shown us. With that very same mercy, we're to love one another and to walk humbly, not boastfully, but to walk humbly with our God. So as we press on into the next section of chapter six, the Lord deals then with a covenant that is broken by Israel. Let's look at verses seven through 11. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna put it on overdrive now. Uh, verse 7, but they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. There have they dealt treacherously against me. <coughs> Excuse me. Gilead is a city of them that work iniquity and is polluted with blood. And as troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent. Now, did, you, did you hear something striking there? Priests are committing murder. For they commit lewdness. Lewdness is another word that is tied into sexual offenses. I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is the whoredom of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. We've already knew that because of the book of Hosea, chapters 1 through 5. Also, O Judah, he has set a harvest for thee when I returned the captivity of my people. I'll explain that in just a moment. So the Lord compares this breaking of the covenant to Adam's disobedience. Because the phrase, but they like men, at the beginning there, 
of verse 7, but they like men, is translated from the Hebrew ke-adam, K-E-A-D-A-M, ke-adam, which means like Adam. Now, some have said, well, that's, that's just, you know, just that the, it's, the word Adam is the word Adam, which is man. That's why Adam was called Adam, because he was the first man. And so they say, well, that's, you know, just coincidental. But, you know, there's no coincidences with God. So consider that here he says, Adam, and so they sinned against light and knowledge as Adam did. There's an interesting similarity in these two cases. Adam, while in paradise, transgressed the commandment given by the Lord, and the Lord cast him out of the garden. So Israel, in possession of the promised land, transgressed God's covenant, and he cast them out and sent them into captivity. It was in their transgressing of the covenant that they dealt deceitfully, they dealt unfaithfully, and they dealt covertly. Now, the word, uh, in the Hebrew word for treacherously that you find there in, in verse 7, the word treacherously in the Hebrew is the word bagad, B-A-G-A-D, bagad. And it literally means to cover, to cover. So covertly, they were deceitful. Unfaithfully, uh, uh, or covertly, they were unfaithful. Covertly, uh, they were treacherous. So just as the Lord had promised Adam his blessings if he obeyed his commands, and Adam plunged the human race into sin and death, God had promised Israel the blessings of the promised land if they would obey him. But what did they do? They broke the covenant and painfully suffered the consequences. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. You guys are probably thinking, you haven't given us homework yet. Now the homework comes. It's all of Deuteronomy 28. I can't, we can't read it all because it's, a, it's got a lot of verses in it. 68, I think. But anyway, Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 2. Let's, we'll just chop it up a little bit just to give you a little taste of it, but you need to read the whole thing. Remember, this is during the time of Moses. This is during the time of the children of Israel in, you know, working their way through the, through the wilderness, going to the promised land. Notice that it says, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. So you listen to the voice and you do what he says, and what's he going to do? He's going to bless you. He's going to bless you. Verse 15, but it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day that all these curses shall come upon thee. So all these things are being listed all the way down until you get to verse 47 and notice what it says in verse 47. All these curses. And then in verse 47 it says, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger 
and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. Of course, that will come to pass under Sennacherib and the Assyrian army when they come and take all of Israel into captivity, the northern kingdom. And it would happen much later, but it would happen still to Judah for the very same reason, for breaking the covenant, for not trusting God, for not going to the Lord for their blessings. And they would be taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and his armies and taken to Babylon. In verses 8 through 11 of our text, the Lord points out three sins the people of the northern kingdom of Israel were guilty of. Three things. Murder, verses 8 and 9. Adultery, verse 10. And being a stumbling block to Judah, verse 11. That's what verse 11 is about. I'll, I'll, I'll get there. First of all, there had been widespread physical violence that led to murder, verses 8 and 9. This reflected the people's unfaithfulness to the commandments, especially that one commandment, thou shalt not murder. And remember that that's what, the, that's what the word in the Hebrew means. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not take a life deliberately. See, people oftentimes, if, if somebody kills somebody by mistake, you know, they charge them with a misdemeanor, as it were. I mean, it wasn't, you know, uh, uh, they would, they would, you know, it was just an accident or whatever. They, they would, uh, you know, try them. I mean, they could run to a, a, a city of refuge or whatever to get away from the uh, revengeful family or whatever. But murder was really the key to what God was saying. Thou shalt not take a life deliberately with the heart of hatred. But that's what they were doing. Ramot Gilead, technically the city, not, because Gilead itself was a region. So the city in that area was Ramot Gilead, had become the focal point for men who worked iniquity. Literally, men who did wrong things. Opposing the righteousness of God and anything pertaining to the God of Israel and becoming the targets of God's abhorrence and hatred. I want you to consider Psalm 5, verses 4 through 6. Psalm 5, verses 4 through 6 allows us the opportunity to see the, the principle behind this. Because in verse 4 it says, for thou, art a not, for thou art not a God that has pleasure in wickedness. God doesn't have pleasure in wickedness. God is a God of, of, of righteousness. God is, is, is a God of holiness. But he's not a God of wickedness. Neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing, which means thou shalt destroy them that speak falsehood. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. So we see then how God abhors this wickedness of men that work iniquity 
also the major cities of refuge, Gilead and Shechem, have become a refuge for real criminals. Instead of a, a place of refuge for those who had made mistakes and just needed you know, to, to hide away until things could be adjudicated properly. The lawless and the violent of the nation all of a sudden took over some of these cities of refuge. Whereas the cities of refuge were designed to protect those guilty of manslaughter from people seeking revenge, guaranteeing safety and true justice for the innocent, now they have become major centers of lawlessness. So much so that the streets were stained with blood. We see that in verse 8. Gilead is a city of them that work iniquity and is polluted with blood. And even the priests were guilty. Guilty of encouraging and forming bands of thieves and robbers who were often guilty of assault and murder. And, and all really because they were still serving other gods. And because they were serving other gods that had some connection then with the, the issue of lewdness uh, in verse 9. Terrible sins. Matthew 24, verses 12 and 13, what did Jesus say? Remember, Matthew 24 is the, is the Olivet Discourse about the things that were yet to come. Talking about the latter days, the last times. He says, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Look at what's happening in the news all around us. Look at what's happening today. When they found the killer of Molly Tibbetts in Iowa. You, know, you sympathize with a father who for weeks and weeks just kept thinking, well, somehow she's going to turn alive, something's going to happen. Everybody else is just saying, you know, it's way beyond now. What about the shooting of so many police officers? Many more now at this point in time than the previous year. We're not even through with this year yet. The hatred that people have for one another. The violence that they throw upon each other for stupid reasons. No good reason whatsoever. The love of many shall wax cold, which means it just grows colder and colder and colder. It's not going to get any better. You look at gangs like MS-13 and, and, and the things that they do, and the, uh, I mean, it, it, it astounds you that people are acting like animals. But that's exactly what they are. Once they've crossed that line, God says, I'm going to deal with this. And unless they come to Jesus Christ, they'll be judged for that. So he says in verse 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. We're going to endure. We're going to endure not by our might or power, but by God's spirit. We're going to endure not by might or power, but by God's word. We're going to endure not by might or by God's power, but because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what is going to get us to salvation. Secondly, the people of Israel were guilty of adultery, as, as we've seen from the very beginning of our study of this prophecy. But they were defiling themselves, both husbands and wives, 
being unfaithful to each other and being unfaithful to God. That was the main thing, the spiritual adultery that was being committed in Israel. All for the sake of chasing after sexual encounters under the direction of their newfound pagan religious practices. And you don't think that that's still, that that's not happening anymore. It's probably, probably worse now because of the technology today and the social media today <clears throat> and all of these open doors that, that people are, are getting just online every, every day to all sorts of perversions. And this is why Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 7, this know also that in the last days, Perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. By the way, the word perilous, I've, I've talked about this before. Chalepos in the Greek is a word that literally means insane or insanity. We're living in dangerous, insane times. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and holy without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, notice that, a form of godliness, but denying the power Denying the true power of what makes us godly. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. It's through the very power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God that we can walk the way that God wants us to walk. And that we can do the things that God wants us to do. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. How many people today, even in churches today, I mean, I, I'm amazed still. You know, I taught against the, the, the emerging church a few years ago uh, because they, they, they insisted, uh, they continue to insist uh, by their authors and their, you know, superstar heroes that uh, we don't need the Bible. We don't need the Word of God. We need to be conversant with, with other religions. We, know we, we don't want to change them from what they are because they've got good things to tell us about their religion. And I think, really? Then why did Jesus have to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes, up, comes unto the Father but by me. They want to be inclusive. God wants us to trust in him and him alone. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for all men, but he died for the sins of men. He took upon himself those sins. To say that, you know, this, this movement is, is you, know, we, we, you know, all those people that stay in the Word of God, all those people that read the Word, you know, they're, they're, they're worshiping the Bible. No, we're not. We're worshiping the Lord who gave us his Word. And we're trying to be obedient to what he said, that we are to be in his Word. We are to know his Word. We're to know him through his word. And then we are to proclaim his word. We are to proclaim his gospel. We are to proclaim the name of the Lord. They say, we can't know all of this stuff. Well, that's because you're stupid. 
And you deny, you deny the word of God. Therefore, yeah, you won't know because you don't want to. What does that do? It leaves you open to do other things. It leaves you open to do whatever your flesh desires. Well, folks, our flesh doesn't belong to us anymore. Let me say that one more time. Our flesh doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. He bought us with a price. We belong to ourselves. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. For of this sort are they which, for of this sort are they which creep into houses. Yeah, you know how they're creeping into houses on TV and internet, creeping into the houses and leading captive silly women laden with sins, silly men too, by the way. Led away with diverse lusts, ever learning, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Lastly, the people of Israel, verse 11, the people of Israel were also guilty of being stumbling blocks to others, but especially to those of Judah. Judah was, was, the, you know, was that nation, though it was only two tribes, it was that nation that had the kings that were in the line of David. There were good kings, but there were also some bad kings. The bad kings were the ones that eventually led them into captivity. But nonetheless, it was from the influence of Israel, the northern kingdom, that brought them to that point. That point. Their immorality and their lawlessness, their violence and unfaithfulness influenced Judah greatly. And Judah would reap the very same harvest as Israel. That's why it says, he has set a harvest for thee when I return the captivity of my people. It is the terrible destiny of God's judgment. So, that is chapter 6. And I want to leave you, I'm right at, the, right at the edge of being on time. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, I want to end with this. I want you to listen to the words of Paul in a, in a, in a very prophetic letter, because 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians are, are very prophetic letters. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, notice what Paul writes. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. We're going to touch about a little bit about this at the men's retreat, uh, at least my part anyway, uh, on Friday night. So just, just want to kind of open this up a little bit. But when, the, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. What do you think we ought to do? We ought to know God. And we have every opportunity to know the Lord. We've been given every opportunity and every resource and every tool available to do that. We need to know God. And, they, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the gospel, let's obey it. Verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. See, we're not in the Old Testament anymore. We're not in the New Testament. But judgment still matters. And from the glory of his power, verse 10, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. 
Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, or ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's rest in Jesus Christ. Let's trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray that the Lord would count us worthy of his calling. And that we do every day. That we should do every day. And let's glorify his name. Let's worship him every day. Let's honor him every day. Let's love him every day. And let's love one another as he's loved us.